Welcome to The Kingdom is for Everyone. This is your host, Matthew Hester, and this is the place to discuss all things righteousness, peace, and joy. I want to take a moment to thank our Hester Ministries monthly supporters. You guys help to make this podcast a reality, as well as the many things we do for the sake of the gospel around the world. We're also so grateful that you can enjoy this show wherever you love to listen to podcasts. With that in mind, like and share this. Word of mouth is huge. Please let your friends know about this podcast and how much you enjoy it. We also invite you to check out our homepage for this podcast, anchor.fm slash the kingdom for everyone. That's the number four. You can find out how to become a monthly podcast supporter should you choose. Also, we'd love for you to click on the message tab and leave us a voice message or a question to feature on an upcoming episode of our podcast. Here at The Kingdom is for Everyone, we want you to be more than an audience. We want you to be a participant. Okay, we're going to jump right into episode 32, and this episode is titled, Can the Cross Be Beautiful? Can the Cross Be Beautiful? And at the recording of this episode... We're a few weeks out from Easter celebrating that wonderful occasion, and there's a lot of things that are going to happen on Easter Sunday that uh, are going to be beautiful, and then there's a lot that's going to be pretty sad and pretty scary. Let me, let me explain. You know, Easter, for the church world, and I'm not meaning to be crass when I say it this way, but uh, it's kind of like the Super Bowl for the church world, right? You, you have people that literally only would only think of coming to church two days out of the year. That's usually Easter service, Christmas service. If they're going to choose one, most of the time it's Easter service, okay? And and if that's just, hey, I want mom to be happy, I want grandma to be happy, or it's just honoring tradition, no interest in God whatsoever other than, okay, I'll be there for Easter and I'll come over for Easter lunch. Okay. So we have these golden opportunities to present the gospel, but... Most of the time, what we hear is, okay, God was ready to pour out his cup of wrath because of sin and iniquity, but thank God Jesus intervened, and so God poured his wrath out on Jesus. And aren't you glad that Jesus is our Savior now? Turn to him, repent of your sins, right? And so then you can change your destination from from hell to heaven. Uh, What do you guys think? This is the gospel. Well, uh, as, as we've established over many of our episodes, that's not really at all what the gospel looks like. And so I just thought maybe over the next couple of weeks, I would speak some more into the God who looks like Jesus. After all, I want to remind you, they are one and the same. Jesus, God the Father, Holy Spirit, they are one and the same. So I know it's very difficult for us to wrap our minds around that because we're trying to take what's quite literally a very infinite subject and trying to grapple with it and assimilate it with our very finite way of understanding. So I get I get the struggle there. It's, it's real. But nevertheless, we're going to do our best to try. So that's what we're going to jump into. We're going to try to answer the question a little bit, can the cross be beautiful? And that's what we're going to devote some time to in this episode. Before we start, we're going to have a 30-second uh, sponsored break, and we'll be right back on the other side. Hang tight. Okay, we're back, and we're going to jump into the meat of this episode, Can the Cross Be Beautiful? And so, you know, when we ask that question, first of all, I think most of us would have an optimistic, well, yeah, I think so, but it's beautiful because of, you know, hindsight, which, hey, fair enough, I give you that. But what does the cross reveal other than, let's be honest, uh, man's proclivity 
if you will, towards deicide. Uh, we we really like to kill God. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, and, and the reason, I think, is pretty plain. He shows us forgiveness. He shows us unconditional love. He shows us grace and mercy. And let's be honest, none of those qualities fit in the human paradigm, not naturally anyway. And so anytime he shows us that kind of, you know, those components of his character and nature, and he did it so uh, boldly in and through the person of Jesus, we're like, well, that's this is not going to work. We, you know, the religious elite of that day, they were looking for someone to rescue them from their Roman oppression, to set them free, and... Uh, that is not what happened. Jesus actually became a persecutor of them, calling them vipers and, you know, religious, the religious elite whitewashed in their own sepulchers. I mean, it's just pretty intense verbiage. Maybe for us today, it's it's more humorous, but back then the insults were rolling pretty hardcore. And so, you know, as it escalates, which things do, and there's a power struggle, which started to happen. Um, yeah, we, we have a habit of killing God. We really do. And so let's look at how the cross can be beautiful. Just share some thoughts with you here, and I'd love to hear your feedback on this as we continue throughout the next few episodes. And so the first thing we have to look at is the cross is self-sacrificial, okay? So um, what do I mean by that? We, we say, well, well, you know, we killed him. Okay, we did, fair enough. But Jesus also admonished his disciples. He said, no man can take my life from me except I give it freely. I'm not saying that God committed suicide. What I'm saying is, is that God allowed himself to be taken advantage of. And and in doing so, we recognize that that is self-sacrificial. Because if he didn't want to go to the cross, let's be honest, he wouldn't have gone. He went because he loves us. He went because he wanted to see us free from the power of sin. He went because his heart was broken over being misrepresented. Can you imagine an always good father and his kids have become alienated from him because they bought into the legends of his dark side that, uh, yeah, God's good, but he's a monster. And he just, he figured out, okay, this is the way that I can reconcile humanity to myself. And so if you can look at it that way, and, and again, I know what I'm saying, there's so many loaded statements here, but the self-sacrificial work of the cross reframes everything about who God is what it means to have faith in God, and how, how we even approach and read Scripture. You know, the entire Old Testament leading up to the crucified Christ must be interpreted with a view toward discerning how it anticipates and points towards this definitive revelation. In other words, what's an easy way to say it? If there's anything that we believe about God that doesn't look like Jesus, we're missing something. Again, because they are one and the same. God the Father of the Old Testament is not in conflict with Jesus the Son in the New. Again, they are one and the same. And so then that brings us to the all-important question. So how does, does the, the recognizing this self-sacrificial work, how does that give us insight into the character and nature of God uh, that we see in the Old Testament, especially the very problematic ones, right? There's probably more verses in the Old Testament that have created modern-day atheists than probably any other literature, let's be honest. And why? Because they cannot reconcile these very disturbing images, <laughs> to say the least, disturbing portraits of God, 
and they can't reconcile it with this Jesus that is loving and gracious and forgiving. How can this be so obviously all of Scripture must be rubbish, and if it all points to God, well, then God certainly must not exist because this just cannot be. And so what we have to figure out is, okay, since we know Jesus, just by doing a read-through of the Gospels, we see he's nonviolent, self-sacrificial, embraces his enemies, forgives his enemies while they're crucifying him. How does this give us revelation of who God is. Like, I mean, you know, the, the God of the Old Testament, that when we read verses and we're like, oh my gosh, he's telling them to kill women and children and animals, no mercy, or he'll even open up the ground and swallow, swallow thousands of people whole. These can't, what is happening here? We have to allow any information that we gain about God, we have to allow it to be fed from the source who is Jesus because Jesus is the exact image and the perfect representation of his Father, okay? So the message of the cross tells us that in Christ, God was bearing the sin of the world to reconcile the world to himself. 2 Corinthians 5, 17-19, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And so again, when we look at the cross, and rightly so, there's another word, a little theological term, don't, don't run from it, that we have to talk about, and that is atonement atonement. And uh, and so atonement in its basic definition means reparation for an offense or injury, satisfaction, right? And, and usually the satisfaction is, is a, about a story basically of sin and atonement. Um, you know, God wanted to find a way to make atonement. Uh, or I'm sorry, the, a perpetrator wants to make atonement for their sins, right? And they want to make it right. Um, and then the second definition, the reconciliation of God and humankind through the sacrificial death of Jesus. So where we get it really muddy is we start teaching that the father sacrificed the son, that, that a good father sacrificed his son. Uh, and, and, and then we, we kind of like, we're okay with it. We shout hallelujah, which is odd because it's interesting. That's not how it played out with Abraham and Isaac. God, God is showing us he doesn't demand sacrifice. He's not going to steal your joy. And that's why we have to first we have to first come to terms with this. Jesus came willingly to the cross. There was no demand. God didn't demand for Jesus to die. Jesus died willingly so that he could reconcile humanity to himself. Okay? So uh, let's say it another way. Jesus didn't come to protect us from his father. Come on. He came to reveal who his father had always been. So the truth of the matter is, again, coming up on Easter, on Easter Sunday, a lot of a lot of ministers preach Moloch instead of the crucified Christ. What I mean, Moloch, this is a bloodthirsty uh, God who wants human sacrifice. That is not who Elohim is. Never has been, never will be. So we need to really focus on preaching the crucified Christ. So again, we find in Colossians 1.15, which is beautiful, it's succinct, the Son, Jesus, S-O-N, the Son is the image of the invisible God, 
the firstborn over all creation. So creation had never seen God until they saw him in the person of Jesus. The angels had never seen God, which is, man, that, that blows my mind. The angels, faithful servants to the invisible, right? But then in the manger, they're like, what, what is happening? It, that's God. Wow. The firstborn of all creation. So certainly the cross is both very ugly and very beautiful to those who believe. Now, the surface of the event, right, if you, if you don't scratch past the surface, it's revoltingly ugly. You know, um, I, I have memories of the Passion of the Christ. Uh, I, was, I was privileged enough to see an early, an early pre-screening of that, uh, actually with some of the executives of the, the production company that released it. And, uh, oh, even before it was finished, my heart was broken. Oh, my goodness, I'd never seen... The, the crucifixion depicted in such a way, and it just tears your heart apart. Yes, it is brutal. Yes, it is terrible. Because why? Well, it is reflecting all the sin that Jesus bore, right? All, all the sin, my sin, your sin, the sin of humanity. Jesus was bearing it upon himself. In Isaiah 52, 14, this messianic prophecy that we see, we're, we're told just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So yeah, it's tragic, it's brutal, but again, the question that we're asking is, can the cross be beautiful? But to those who by faith see beyond that surface appearance beyond that initial being appalled and disgusted. Well, we also find the cross reveals the supreme beauty of a God who, out of love, was willing to bear our sin, suffer our curse, and thereby takes on this revoltingly ugly, sin-mirroring surface appearance I don't think any of us would have the courage to stand at the foot of the cross and, and, and gaze on Jesus with pride. I think we would all be heartbroken. How could we even look? You know, and, and that's the question that we need to ask ourselves. But, but once we've answered the initial question, once we've had the conviction of Holy Spirit, we know that that's where all conviction comes, is from Holy Spirit, which again, it's, rest, it's restorative in its quality, by the way. Then we start to see the beauty. We start to scratch beneath the surface. We see this one-way love God. <laughs> this mercies are new every morning. This grace is sufficient God. That he's there allowing himself to be taken advantage of. Allowing himself to be crucified. Because he wants to restore us. He wants to restore our understanding of who he is. Of who we are to help to restore to us our place in the family. Wow. All of a sudden, the cross looks more beautiful than I had thought before. You know, it's interesting. I wonder what the chances are. Are you listening to this podcast right now and you got a cross maybe hanging in your room somewhere? Maybe you even got one hanging on your neck. That's so interesting, isn't it? Have you ever stopped to think that the cross 
was perfected by the Romans. Now, it had had started being practiced earlier in Persia, but the Romans perfected this, and this was a symbol of brutality, a symbol of torture. And and today we wear it. (laughs) It has something. So don't tell me that God can't transform something that's brutal and make it beautiful. Right? Most of us probably don't think that way. It would almost be like, and again, I don't want to compare because the comparison is still crude and it's just basic structure. But, you know, like, would, would any of you think about wearing an electric chair? Probably not. But the cross, I mean, it is worse than that. This was the worst type of punishment that the Roman Empire devised and utilized. This was for the worst of the worst. And today, we don't even bat an eye. It's a symbol of beauty. And I would just, I would challenge us just to question why. How does God take ugly, brutal things and make them beautiful? And maybe his ability to do that to the cross extends to each one of us, right? All right. Um, John 15, 12 and 13, my command is this, love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for his friends. So right there, I want you to hear this. If you don't hear it any other time between now and Easter, God laid down his life for you. And what does that mean? It's not just to rescue, you know, what what your inevitable end might be. And he's just showing you this, this you know, this fraction of his grace and mercy to, to us undeserving worms. No, no, no. He, he laid down his life for his friends. You, my friend, are a friend of God. I don't, I don't know what anyone else has told you, but that is the truth about you in his heart. You are his friend. In 1 Peter 2, 24, this is the last verse here. I know I've shared a lot of verses, but it's important to help us wrestle with and flesh out these thoughts. He himself bore our sins in his body, on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Again, I can't think of anything more beautiful that God assumes this self-sacrificial position, allows himself to be taken advantage of on the cross, and in doing so, bears our sins that we might die to sin and live for righteousness My simple definition of righteousness is about identity. Righteousness is an identity issue. What is the base level of your righteous identity? And it's the free gift, by the way. We're told that many times in the New Testament. You are a beloved son and a beloved daughter of an always good father. That is your righteous identity. So Jesus, of the many things he accomplished on the cross, he accomplished and secured that reality for you. You are beloved. And then by his wounds, you've been healed. He secured your healing, not just your physical healing, but your emotional healing, any kind of healing you need, mental mental healing, whatever you need, he took it upon himself so that you can be healed. All right, so... That's where we're going to end, man. That oh, I could keep going, but we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna jump into this for the next couple of weeks. So if you're really enjoying this, make sure you let people know about it. This is kind of the vein we're going to be going in, uh, leading up to Easter, and uh, and we're gonna jump into some more depths of this. We're gonna look at some of these really problematic verses that you know maybe you've heard these in the past, and you're like that 
doesn't sound right. How how can that be God? Maybe it's even even injected some fear into your early Christian walk, which I know that's part of my story. So it's it's not something that is uncommon. Uh, and and we're gonna find again a more accurate picture, a more accurate representation of who God is through the revelation of Jesus, which is the place to go, right? Um, and so yeah, I think we'll we'll end there. All right. So before we finish up. I do just want to mention Hester Ministries. Go to HesterMinistries.org. We'd love for you to consider partnering with us. Right now, our partner base makes up about 18% of our annual budget. We certainly would love for that to increase. Uh, we, we're online. Find us on Facebook. We've got so many uh, speaking engagements coming up and things like that. It's amazing. And so if we're near you, we'd love to see you face-to-face and, and give you a hug. Uh, Also go to presenttruthacademy.org. We are at the halfway mark of our brand new primary study track, The Sermon on the Mount. Uh, And I would just encourage you to get on board with that. Man, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The Sermon on the Mount is more gangster than I ever thought. Uh, But as I've been devoting, you know, two and a half months of going into just those three chapters, it is is blowing my mind in in the best of ways. And so I'd encourage you, you want more information, go to presenttruthacademy.org. We also want to invite you to like this podcast, share it, leave a five-star review so that we can get this podcast in front of as many people as possible. You are who make that happen. So we do appreciate you helping us with that. All right, God bless you. Have an amazing week. And I cannot wait for you to join us next week as we continue along this topic line, trying to find the beauty uh, of of what maybe hasn't always looked beautiful in God. But I promise you, we're going to search it out. We're going to find it. All right, I want to remind you this before we finish. If the kingdom isn't for everyone, come on, you know, well, then it's not for anyone. God bless you.